A I N M E N U Main Menu Main Menu Main Menu Welcome to Main Menu for the 19th of February 2016. I'm your co-host Jason Castingway. I hope everyone has been having a great week. First, we're going to hear from Lucy Greco and Chris Hofstetter about Dictation Bridge, an application being developed which is compatible with all the major screen readers and is used for, well, dictation. Next, we're going to hear from Mary Emerson as she demonstrates the CPR call blocker. And finally, you're going to hear from yours truly with a segment from Macademia. Enjoy, and I'll be back with you at the end. Welcome to ACB Radio Main Menu, Lucy and Chris. Nice to have you here. Good to be here. Thank you for asking us. Chris, now you're the main developer, is that right? No, no, I'm the manager. You're a manager. I'm useless, uh, really. All I do is (laughs) is keep things organized, send a lot of emails, and write a few documents. The real work uh, on the technology side is being led by Matt Campbell. All right. um, And uh, Lucy and his... And Pranav Lau are uh, leading the int- the the actual public-facing side of the project. I'm primarily the dreamer for this project. I'm the one who, you know, went to Pranav and said, "I'm tired. I'm fed up with this expensive mechanism that's locking people in in so many different ways. I want a way to dictate." freely in any application and I want it to be affordable for everyone so I want that too <laughs> it sounds great <laughs> are you able to enter text with your fingers or, or do you have a, an issue where it's hard for you to enter text so having used a computer since 1984 um, it's getting more and more painful the older I get to uh, enter text so I can enter text and I do uh-huh. but Dictation also helps solve one of my other primary disabilities, which is I am dyslexic. I will often say to myself, the word is spelled F-I-E and type F-E-I. So, gotcha. And I've never been known to be a very good speller. I'm infamous. If you look at my Twitter feed, for example, there's, there's tons of misspellings out there. And dictation also helps solve that problem, too. Well, Lucy, we must be on the same team. <laughs> this product is for you. We're making it for you. <laughs> I'm an okay talker. Uh, I've done lots of public speaking work in radio, but I'll tell you, I can barely spell dog. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. That's exactly the, the type of typos I make all the time. You know, when I was in college, I could be guaranteed an A if I actually had a scribe taking dictation to me. But uh-huh. if I type the papers myself, I would often restrict myself as to what the words I was choosing just because I was a horrible typist and speller. So I could get a paper done in about three hours in college if I was dictating it to a human being. If I was typing it, it would just, you know, I'd be up at 1.30 in the morning after five days of pain and agony and might be able to produce a B-level paper. You're speaking to a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of us have this issue. Exactly. For me, way back when I first left Freedom Scientific in 2004, I left with tremendously bad RSI problems. I was in such bad pain, I couldn't bend my arms. I I had to type literally with my arms very straight out. So usually I was reclined on my back with a laptop on my legs typing that way. Mm -hmm. And I got on the phone with Mike Calvo and 
Matt Campbell, who were both then working on the System Access screen reader, which I think ostensibly they still sell. And I said, you got to support the built-in dictation system into Windows Vista. So um, I spent about a week going back and forth on the phone with Matt, and he developed uh, the System Access support uh, for dictation. Now, lots of exercise and attempts at keeping my health better over the years and putting myself on a maximum word count of typing per, per week uh, has uh, helped me get rid of the RSI issues. Our, our project, Dictation Bridge, is starting with the work Matt did back in System Access. So that's kind of the beginning of the story, actually, is more than a, is like roughly a dozen years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and remember, this is still prototype, so we have to, we have to expect it to be prototypish. Right. <laughs> Let me ask you guys a quick question here before we go on. Then, are you guys now in beta? Are you in alpha? Are you pre-alpha? Or where are we here? We are in a prototype state with the software, okay. so it's uh, you. You might call it a pre-alpha. Um, right now, Dictation Bridge uh, was carved out of System Access and is primarily in its own DLL. There are pieces of the technology in there that are third-party and proprietary, so we need to replace them with a free software open-source solution. We need to add support for the Dragon products, because right now it currently only supports the Microsoft products. Matt's going to be writing the scripts that interface with that DLL for NVDA. Brian Smart, whom you might know from Dancing Dots, or before that he worked at Microsoft, is writing the JAWS scripts. And as of yesterday, and this is your soup, you heard it here on Main Menu First, Jeff Bishop, a longtime Window Eyes person, has joined the team to do the Window Eyes script. Terrific. Jeff (laughs) Bullo? Bishop? (laughs) I think you guys at ACB might know Jeff Bishop. Yeah, uh, I think so. Well, that's, that's great. I was wondering if you guys were working with other screen readers other than, um, well, I wasn't really sure which ones you were working with, but it's nice to know you're working with all the major ones. The original plan was to do NVDA only, and at that point we were looking to crowdsource $10,000. We have gotten a tremendous amount of input from JAWS and Window Eyes users saying they wanted to. And so we've expanded the scope. We've doubled the amount of money we're raising. Roughly $20,000 is what we're trying to raise now. And we have full professionals working on NVDA, JAWS, and Window Eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to work on system access. It's no. already there. Well, three, three Mouse Technology, our little workers cooperative who's managing this project, is dedicated to trying to do as much free software as we can. We're also adding support for JAWS and Window Eyes because they're just so many users out there oh, yeah. who don't yeah. have the option of switching. There are people you know, in job sites who aren't allowed to use NVDA. They have to use JAWS and things like that. We tried to expand the scope as to include at least the three most popular Windows screen readers. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a friend of mine who has having a lot of issues with entering text, and I am sure he'd just love to hear about this product. He's currently using uh, JSA, an old form and an old form of JAWS, and Everything is old and getting sluggish, and he's pretty much fed up with it. Well, so well, price is a big issue in in, in the blindness world. A lot of blind oh, seventy yeah. percent are unemployed in this country, and, and you know they just of our software costs a lot of money. Yeah, and they just raised the price of Jaws Pro to fifteen hundred dollars, and JSA costs five hundred and fifty. 
our entire fundraising goal is less than the cost of 10 copies of JAWS plus JSAY and or less than 40 copies of JSAY itself. So it's, you know. Which then you also need to buy a $200 copy of Dragon. Yep. Mm. It's, you know, for us, the goal is, is if you can work with Microsoft speech recognition and you can use NVDA, you can get up and running for the price of the computer. I am a long-term JSAY user. I've used JSAY for years and years. I was uh, on the original beta team even for JSAY. But my campus, I work for the University of California, Berkeley, is a Google Apps campus. And I can't use JSAY in Google Apps. It's, it's primarily meant to be used in the Microsoft suite. And you know, I'm not a Microsoft suite user anymore. I only open Word when I absolutely have to. I do everything in Google Apps nowadays, so you know I don't even have to buy a copy of Office. Wow. I've never used Google Docs or other Google Apps, so honestly, I can't speak to how well Dictation Bridge is going to work with them. Hopefully, Lucy's going to be testing them. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. hope that it's going to work properly. I'm really curious about it, too. Um, I, I have to admit, I haven't played around with Google Docs much either. I just started to play with it before I retired. I'm a retired tech trainer. And so I, uh, I just, I've been doing that for probably about 13 years, and it just started to get into it when I, when I got out. I have been able to get the prototype to dictate into email messages using the Google Basic HTML, or the, you know, the most advanced uh, Gmail interface. So I have been able to dictate into email messages. I've okay. not yet been able to dictate into Google Docs, and that's something that, you know, I think it's going to be a stretch goal. I don't think it's going to be something we can do in version 1.0, but it's something that I will work with Matt, and I insist that it will work because I am committed to that whole idea of you should not have to pay to be able to produce high-quality documents. Okay. Excellent. Lu so, Lucy, you may, you may have to insist that Google do a lot of work to make this happen. <laughs> I can actually use the Google Suite really well right now. It's painful because I have to type it, but I actually think I, you know, I can create a really good, high-end, fancy slideshow presentation. All my uh, presentations at CSUN this year will be done in Google Slides. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, I use Google Docs for all my work. I've actually found that my productivity has increased using Google Docs because the spell checker in Google Docs is probably the best spell checker I've ever used. But using dictation, I won't even have to spell check, I hope. Well, this proper nouns and such. Yeah, proper nouns and so mm -hmm. Well, the good thing about the Google Dictionary, it does a better job of determining what the context is than any um, spell checker I've ever seen. Oh, I can wow. believe it. The spell checker you know, is what I'm saying is working so well for me. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping that, you know, I can dictate into a Google Doc using Microsoft speech recognition yep. and be able to do some of the high-end powerful editing that I can do in that platform. Are you needing an internet connection when you dictate? No, we won't be needing an internet connection when we dictate because oh, we'll great. use Microsoft speech recognition. Okay, and that's uh, built in. Okay. Also, another distinguishing thing from JSAY is while we're supporting Dragon, we're supporting all of the Dragon versions from the $75 or whatever, the personal edition, all the way up to Dragon Pro. Uh, there will be some features that JSAY has um, that will require you purchase Dragon Pro. So therefore, some people who want some of the more high-end features will require, you know, 
buying the high price dragon product but it's our goal to support you know the no cost microsoft one that comes you know out of the box with every version of windows as well as any version of dragon that we can find so people who want to use dragon don't need to necessarily go up all the way to the most expensive version which jsa mm -hmm. requires I'm assuming you're supporting Windows 7, 10, right on up there, right? I think that's the goal at this point. Windows, I think Windows 7 and forward. Right now, the system access still works on with Microsoft Speech on Windows Vista, but I hope there aren't many users out there still using Vista. And Ugh. those who are, please upgrade, because we're, we're not going to test against Vista. I no, no, I mean, none of the people that are in the test, in the test group right now are running Vista. I'm running 7. Erin Lawrenson will be running Windows 10 as her test environment. Environment. Pranav is running Windows 10. I'll be able to run Windows 8 as a test environment. That's going to be what we're going to work with for now. Mm -hmm. and, and Matthew obviously has every version of Windows possible on one or more of his machines. We've heard all about uh, dictating as far as text input. Will there be any way to dictate to control the computer? That is the part where you might need Dragon Pro. Okay. It, it, if if you're doing any command and control that isn't supported by the lower end versions of Dragon, we have a variety of ideas on how to handle it. But right now, our goal for 1.0 is full dictation support, correction dialogues, you know, all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But command and control is really up to the specific dictation engine you're using. So. What's possible in Microsoft Dictation for command and control, we will certainly make possible. But uh, if it's not possible using the Dictation engine itself at this point, uh, that's beyond the scope of our, of our job. Uh, you know, we're not Microsoft. We're not nuanced. We're mm -hmm. not writing a Dictation engine. We're writing a bridge between screen readers and their Dictation engines. Okay. Yep. Saying that, all the dictation engines, and this is just from my experience, you'll be able to say something like open Firefox, open Notepad. You'll be able to do that kind of command and control. You'll be able to select a line, select a sentence, items like that, because that's commands that are within the speech recognition engine already. They have the ability to recognize those. Mm -hmm. um, but we're not going to go too deeply into those, at least not for the first version, because that's really requiring a lot of personalization and people are going to have to do that for themselves in a lot of in a lot of the cases. Okay. That makes so sense. So we're not gonna limit them from doing it for themselves, but we're not gonna, you know, create commands off the bat. We will have the ability to identify if the microphone is on or off. We will have the ability to interact with the correction dialogue and that's that's our, our starting point. That's where we're starting and, you know, it all depends how much you know, how much funding can we get and how far can we get with that funding? The goal is, though, is that, you know, what we produce will be available for anyone for free. As I mentioned earlier, we're Dictation Bridge, you know, we're raising less than, you know, the cost of 40 copies of JSA. There are 65 million blind people on Earth. According to the United Nations, who admits that this is a pretty squishy statistic, Roughly 10% of them use computational devices. So we're providing a free dictation solution to 6.5 million people who may or may not want to use it. You know, I think the value proposition for the community is, you know, for $20,000, six and a half million people have the possibility of using this piece of software. And that number is growing daily as more and more blind people get computers in parts of the world where 
the internet is new and, 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 you know, people who live in Africa and South America and South Asia uh, and, and other parts of the world where, you know, when we talk about money in the United States, you know, $2,000 for a combination of JAWS and JSA isn't outrageous for a big company to pay for. But even in the U.S. It's, it's, or, and the EU, it's awful pricey for an individual to pay. And it's completely out of the reach of anybody in nations with less wealth. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, yeah, I agree. You know, when you think about all these programs like the laptop, laptop for uh, every child or the free laptops, currently you couldn't run you know, Jay say on one of those because the children who are getting those laptops don't have the ability to pay that. So this solution is something where download our bridge, download NVDA, you're up and running functionally mm-hmm. with free applications on your laptop. We can have a much wider use of a product just by making it free. And I think I think it's it's our obligation to do that. Being that we're here in the U.S. and we have the funding, I think, you know, we're obligated to spend this money now, do this, and make sure that blind people around the world have the ability to access these things in the future. And some of the other things we're doing that uh, are rather atypical for, you know, a small crowdsourced free software project is uh, we will be selling... Uh, professional tech support. We chose the price uh, of $55 per year for people to buy tech support. It's email only support, but it is a professional tech support team based in New Delhi uh, who are all blind people themselves and who are all, you know, powerhouse screen reader users who will be answering that question. And we chose $55 symbolically because it means that you can have Dictation Bridge plus 10 years of technical support for the same price as one copy of JSEG. Uh-huh. <laughs> cool. Now, a typical user, Lucy, as you sit in front of your computer, I'm just trying to get the audience to visualize what is going on when you do your demonstration. Are you sitting in front of it with a pair of headphones or without phones? I'm sitting right now in front of it with a pair of um, a single headphone, a one earpiece headphone with a microphone. Okay. The microphone is literally just below my lips in the proper dictation position. Mm-hmm. And I have a notepad open on my machine and a blank screen. And I just have to um, get ready to give you a demo. Okay. okay. Before- I just was, that was, I was just curious how you operated it. And normally one would operate it with a pair of headphones, correct? Correct, yes. yes. Although I have used it on my MacBook Pro. With the built-in microphone, and it works just fine. Okay. Okay. But we don't expect everybody to have a MacBook Pro with their really good, high-quality microphones. I mean, this is just a cheap $10 microphone. will work. The better the microphone, of course, the better your recognition. Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. Well, I know some people may be in a situation where they're stuck using Narrator, and I'm wondering how Dictation Bridge will work with Narrator. As far as I know... It won't. Narrator doesn't have a scripting facility. Narrator mm-hmm. doesn't let us by calm talk to a DLL or anything like that. Okay. Um, there's just Narrator. I mean, as as Microsoft says, you know, when you turn Narrator on, this is not a real screen reader. It's only here until you can install one. Mm-hmm. And uh, anybody who has Narrator should have an NVDA, I and mean, they can 
you know, narrator is good enough to get you to the point you can download NVDA and yes. install it. So, and I mean, unless unless you have zero free hard disk space, I recommend all narrator <laughs> users go to nvaccess.org and download NVDA right now. <laughs> yep. Yes. I mean, I just tried to install Windows 10 using narrator, and I couldn't even get focus on the right windows. So It's tricky, it, yeah. And using speech recognition, focusing on the right window or the right floating window is critical because when you do have that correction box up, if you can't focus on the correction box, that's going to be a problem. You have to be able to get to the part of the screen you need to get to whenever you need to get to it. And Narrator just doesn't have that facility. All right, so if you give me a second here, I'm going to make sure I'm ready to go. Sounds great. I always like demos. This will be you fun. You like demos. Well, let's hope the demo gods are on our side. Notification chef, user promoted notification. User promote speakers. What the speech recognition is off button. Context on. Listen to everything I say. Oh, sleep. Listen only. Unknown. Skype trademark desktop. Untitled. Untitled. Notepad. Blank. Okay. So the sound you heard there was it telling me that the computer was asleep and ready to go. And this is something that will be much simpler once we um, have the full product going. Remember, again, we're still in prototype stage. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the commands to do things haven't been enabled yet. So, so I'm assuming when, when you were getting ready to dictate into Notepad, did you alt-tab into Notepad, or how did you get correct. there? I alt-tab okay. into Notepad. Thank you. All right. Okay. Start listening. You will notice that there was a small beep. You will notice that there was a small beep. And it just misrecognized a word. And it just misrecognized a word. The recognition is not working as well as I would like it to. The recognition is not working as well as I would like it to. Stop listening. And there's my demo. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, very good. Now, an yep. FYI, I did that with the microphone and with this computer without a head. The computer sound is not going through the headphones, so you guys were able to hear it only because I didn't have um, eloquence coming through the headphones. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about a correction dialogue. Was that popping up while you were talking, or is that something you deal with later? That's something we're going to be dealing with. That's our, that's our, first, um, that's our first initiative once we have some funding for Matt to get to work. Okay. We actually ha we actually have the correction dialogue working in a sample piece of NVDA script code, so it's on its way, but it's not in a state that we can demonstrate it yet, mm -hmm. um, because. And, and, uh, and Lucy's not willing to hack her version of NVDA with anything that's not a plugin <laughs> yet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we, some of these things are happening um, as we speak. One of the things that we have as a project objective is that we're trying to make sure that everyone who's involved in this project gets paid a little bit, at least something. Uh, some people working on the project, we're raising $20,000. A portion of that goes to Saratech to license the software that you know, they wrote 10 years ago. We want to make sure that everyone involved gets something you know, some level of re remuneration for their work. Um, I don't like people, I just don't like it when blind people are expected to volunteer for things. I mean, Google's notorious for doing this. They use the eyes free list as their test bed. 
uh, I don't think blind people should be volunteering to do work for billion-dollar corporations. So that's something, I, it's just a principle I hold very deeply. Um, you know, if Apple wants you to test their stuff, they should pay you to test their stuff. And, you know, we're just doing this little project for only $20,000, but we're making sure, you know, we compensate everyone who helps. The thing I really like about the particular group that's working on this project is we all really care about the project for one reason or another. I mean, I've told you what my passion is to make sure that people get access to this product. We've got someone like Erin working on this product who suspend her career working with all sorts of people who are either newly blinded or have multiple disabilities, who typically works with people who are low income. And her motivation is to get something in people's hands, but also to get something in her own hands because she's in extraordinary pain. One of the things that's really important to us is that people do get compensated for what they're doing. People do get recognized for it. It's really critical and really key to us that if somebody's participating in this project as an active member for the project, that that person gets some form of recognition. I mean, for me, just getting something to alleviate my hand pain, that's critical. But it's, it's very important that nobody leave this project walking out of here as being the one who, you know, somebody who tested this product and did it for free and never gets recognized as contributing, when every single person contributing to a project is very key and very important. Mm-hmm. Enough people to test for the prototype? Or would you like more? How does that work? When we get to the point that we have something we're willing to show to the public, you know, in kind of an alpha state, we'll announce it on the Dictation Bridge mailing list. You can go to dictationbridge.com. There's a couple of links there that you could click uh, to sign up for the mailing list. And uh, we'll be asking for volunteers for uh, a private list. And also joining the private beta list is one of the perks on the uh, Indiegogo campaign when it's launched. I think if you donate $100, you get to join the private team. Uh, That's what the NVDA remote access crowdsourcing project did last year. Maybe we should clarify a little bit what we mean by members of the team who are actively working on the project because the beta testing is very critical, but project members are people like Chris who is working on managing the entire funding project, making sure that we you know, have funding goals, working through the funding goals, getting the campaign up and running. Indiegogo, you keep the money even if you come in short of your goal and you know, we want, we're going to make this thing happen, even if we come in a few bucks short of the goal. So, so, so then that's Chris's role in this is making those kinds of decisions, you know, making sure each of us are, are doing our parts. Pranav is working on setting up some of our criteria for the product itself, coming up with our feature set, coming up with the order of priority for things. Aaron is doing a lot of editing for us. I'm um, not really sure what my contribution is, but podcasting. <laughs> That's it. Is I was invited to, to, to you know be the one to talk about this because I'm the one who really uh, I want this thing. I want this thing badly. I want this thing yesterday. Of course. Any idea when we might see something? Uh, I think we'll probably have the Indiegogo launched sometime by mid March. Okay. And. Uh, we will have an audio demo. Brian Smart's actually actively editing it. Um, Lucy and Aaron 
uh, recorded it at Lucy's house and um, we're having it, you know, edited by a pro <laughs> and uh, it's going to sound pretty good. And I expect we'll be posting that on the website in the next week or so. Great. Terrific. And that website you gave is dictationbridge.com. Correct. Great. I'd really like to put a sample, uh, maybe a little bit from the demonstration. Would you allow that? Absolutely. Uh, everything, everything we're posting, the, the software, the DLL is going to be licensed on the Mozilla Public License 2.0 uh, because it has a, an explicit exemption, uh, explicit compatibility with GPL, with, uh, the, the GNU General Public License, which is a requirement to work with NVDA. Everything uh, and, and, and everything else, all of the documentation and audio and anything else is going to be published under Creative Commons share-alike attribution. Mm-hmm. So uh, once it goes up, anybody can repost it as long as they remember to include the attribution. So. And my goal is, as we get further along and we do get features added, I will be recording demos of this as we go and handing those over to Amanda to post as soon as they're available. Give them to Brian, get him to edit them, get Amanda to post them. That's my goal. We'll watch the list and post developments as they happen. and. And then this is a really great thing. I'm really proud to be part of a project that's working on something that's going to be available for free. It's so hard in our world to find something that's free for people with disabilities. One of my main reasons for liking NVDA so much. Oh, I agree. And I love the add-ons for NVDA as well. I think they're great. And, and, they, and they keep getting better. And so many of them are just, you know, these interesting community-driven little things mm. I mean, that just keep making it better. I mean, any programmer can write a, you know, who knows a little bit about Python can write an NVDA script. Mm-hmm. And some of them are doing some amazing things these days. Oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing um, how far we can take this. I, I think the sky's the limit, and whatever people are willing to contribute, um, I'm looking forward to working with anyone and everyone who wants to be sure that Dick is reality. We told you I was the public speaker, right? <laughs> yes. L- 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 Lucy, is, Lucy is, in fact, the public face of this project. I'm so accustomed to talking and talking and talking and talking. Um, you really need to kick me under the table to tell me to shut up sometimes. <laughs> no, that's okay. We have internet failure to do that for you, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's. I guess. It's, I guess. I guess. Like the internet has a BS meter. Right? As soon as it hits the red, it just shuts me off. I wanted to get your Twitter information because that's a great way for at least for me to to follow what's going on with Dictation Bridge. Also, so I am Access Aces. A C C E S S A C E S. Okay. And my my website is accessaces.com. Okay. And this is actually a really important point that I didn't make. Since I stopped using uh, JSAY, I have not been able to make a blog post. I, you know, I posted quite a few pieces. I dictated every single one of those pieces. Um, I haven't had access to a good dictation product for over a year and a half, and I have not had a post up now since August of 2014. And uh, my husband's threatening to pull down my website, so get me dictating again. <laughs> wow. And uh, my contact info is pretty well known. I'm at Gons, G-O-N-Z underscore Blinko, B-L-I-N-K-O. 
And of course, the blog is www.chrishofstetter.com. We will be setting up a Facebook and a Twitter feed for Dictation Bridge. I think Pranav's working on that this week, so I don't, I don't know if that's up or out or even done yet, um, because you know, as Lucy and I are sitting here talking to you, Pranav and other people are actually working on this project. All over the world, are, we have people in the United States, we have people in Europe, we have people in Australia, New Zealand, we have people in India. I mean, the sun never sets on Dictation Bridge effort. Right. Wow. Wow. It's not unusual for me to get to my desk at 8 o'clock in the morning and see stuff that Pranav has been working on all night in India coming through on the Dictation Bridge. I'm, I'm a little frightened if the list gets any more full that I'll never stop seeing Dictation Bridge emails coming in. <laughs> well, yeah, at, some point, good, I, at some point, Lucy, we're going to release the product and move on to our next one. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and then you'll be seeing... Better and better and bigger and better. <laughs> then you'll uh, be, you know, uh, here's another thing I, I mentioned on Carl Grove's podcast a few weeks ago, but this is far in advance, you know, maybe six months out. But uh, we're currently working with a couple of funding sources to do um, a CAPTCHA-solving uh, plug-in for all major browsers that we will uh, that will be hosted by a major organization. I cannot specify whom sure. uh, at this point. Uh, it's being funded by them, and it's going to live. You know, the service part of it will live on their server and we'll be giving capture solving to everyone who uses any of the five major browsers. I think we have Safari, Firefox, IE, Chrome, and Tor on mm-hmm. the official list of things that we want to support. So That's um, great. Well, that gra- I mean, this grabbed my attention, but the CAPTCHA really did. I mean, it's... I can't tell you how frustrated I've been with CAPTCHA. Uh, look to us for lots more. And if you come to CSUN, come to my Building Bridges panel with Sina Baram and Howard Kaplan, uh, where we're going to be talking about lots of small projects of high impact that we can do moving forward uh, for you know, $10,000, $20,000 each. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of really good work that can be done for a really small amount of money in the blindness and disability fields in general. And, you know, it's it's our goal to start doing all of these little projects and move the power dynamic from the hands of Vector Capital, the new owner of Freedom Scientific, to the actual, you know, average person on the street who can help out in one way or another. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I may be able to self-promote for a little bit, I do have Please. a special DSUN this year that uh, a lot of your audience may be interested in. I am collaborating with Berker Gunderson right now from um, DQ. We're doing a session that's going to be a, um introductory meeting of a group we're calling the BATS, which is Blind Accessibility Testing uh, Society. And what this goal, the goal of that group will be is professionals who do web accessibility, who are blind and visually impaired, who have to use the tools that sadly enough are not accessible themselves. So tools we use to make things accessible are not accessible. And it's going to be an organization that collaborates on working with the developers of these tools to fix the problem for accessibility but also sharing tips, tricks, and tutorials on how as a blind professional doing testing for accessibility 
you can actually get your job done and not only be, quote, the screen reader tester, but be a real accessibility tester for all disabilities. So that session will be on at 10 o'clock on Thursday morning. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys for being here. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Yes, yes this is great. Thank you very much for taking the time. Oh, anytime. Take care, both of you. Thanks very much. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Thank you. How many times have you given someone your phone number or they've gotten it from their automated call list? Phew, that incessant jabber. No thanks. No thank you. I don't want any. Look, please, please, stop. If you have a landline phone, this just may be the answer you're looking for. Hi everybody, this is Mary Emerson. And I am here to review a call blocking device called the CPR Call Blocker. C is in Charlie, P is in people. CPR Call Blocker. And it's made by a company in the UK, but they have a US office. I don't know if this device will work in Canada or in other parts of the world, but I know that it does work in the US and the UK. This device is used with landline phones to keep annoying callers, nuisance callers from pestering you over and over and over again. The idea is that when a call comes in, you can block the caller so that they're never able to call back. And if they try, your phone doesn't ring. This is a great little device. You can block up to 1,200 numbers. There are already 200 built in, and you can add another 1,000. I've had my call blocker since about the middle of last year. It's a very simple device. It has a screen at the top, and the device is slanted so that the back is a little taller than the front. And the screen is at the top of the device on the top surface across the back. And there are three lines on the display. Below that, there are two buttons and a set of two buttons, one above the other. To the left is a small button that is a delete button. I haven't used it. The middle button is the one that you're going to use the most. It's called Block Now. And when a call comes in to your phone, this is one of the ways that you can get rid of the caller right away. If you have a talking caller ID, then it will announce a number and you'll know and you can block it. There are ways to unblock numbers if you make a mistake and block out a number that you need to keep available. To the right of this block now button is a set of two buttons, one above the other, and this is how you move on the display. Unfortunately, the display does not talk, so I have no way of knowing what is on the display, but you don't really need to know what's on the display to use this device. Coming out of the back of this device, there are two cables. The one on the left is a longer cable, and it hooks up to the jack in the wall. The cable to the right is a short cable, 
and it plugs into the back of your telephone where the other end of the jack that goes to the wall would plug into your phone. What you're doing is you're putting the call blocker kind of in the middle between the wall and your phone. Now about the call blocker, a few general comments and how it works. You can use it with a single corded phone. In that case, you would have to push that big button in the middle of the call blocker to block a phone call. Or you can use it with a cordless phone that has additional handsets. You've got to have a DECT cordless phone to make that work. DECT stands for Digital Enhanced Cordless Phone. And that is the handiest way to go because there are program codes, which I'll talk about a little later on, that can be used with your cordless phone. You can't use them with a single corded phone, but you can with cordless phones. And You can do all kinds of stuff with these phone codes, and I'll talk about that a little later. In order for this thing to work properly, you've got to have caller ID. The manual does not recommend that you use this with a voicemail service that checks your voicemail frequently. It just doesn't work. In the UK, they're called 1571 button phones, and these are not recommended to use with call blocker. And now I'm going to talk about how this thing works if you have a DECT cordless phone, which is the way that I use it. What happens is a call comes in. Usually when it's a nuisance call, there will be a three-second pause before you hear any voice or any recorded message. Sometimes when you pick up your phone, there's an immediate message from some recorded voice or something. You press on your handset the pound sign and the number two, and you do it like this, pound sign Two. Not together, but one right after the other. When you do that, you'll hear a little click on your phone. The number has been blocked. And then you just hang up your phone. And that will allow the call blocker to keep the number in its little database and the phone won't ring. But if you've got a talking caller ID, the caller ID will announce the phone number that's coming in. When you just hear the announcement and you don't hear the phone ringing, this is a blocked call. If you have phones in your home that are not cordless and you have them hooked up, they will ring, but the phones that are connected to your call blocker will not ring. If you want to program a number into the blocking list, say that your caller ID announced a number and you didn't get to pick up the phone at the time and you knew it was a number you wanted to block, You get a dial tone on your phone, and you input star star seven pound, and then you'll hear a beep, and you enter the phone number with the area code, and you follow that with a pound key, and then you'll hear a beep after each pound to confirm that it worked, and then you hang up. To program an area code, you get a dial tone, and you enter star star seven pound, And then you'll hear a beep, as you did before. Enter the area code, and after that, you press the pound key. And you'll hear a beep, and that will be the end of it, and you just hang up. So the procedure is somewhat similar. If you want to unblock an area code or a phone number because you realize that you had accidentally blocked somebody's number that you needed to stay in touch with or you know somebody from that area code and you need to keep in touch with them, you get a dial tone and you input star star six pound and then you'll hear a beep and then you enter either the phone number or the area code and then the pound key. 
and you'll hear another beep. Then you hang up. There's a code for resetting to the factory settings, and this will erase everything on the device. And you get a dial tone, and you input star, star, one, pound, star, one, pound. And again, you'll hear the beeps after each pound to confirm. I think that's enough of an explanation to help you understand how this works. There are other codes that I haven't mentioned. There's one code that only works in the UK, but all the others apparently work anywhere that you are. This device will work on the internet. It will work with fiber optic connections. It will work with DSL. You can get more information about the CPR call blocker in the U.S. It's callblockerusa.com. That's all in lowercase, and it's C-A-L-L-B-L-O-C-K-E-R-U-S-A.com. There's an order line for the U.S. It's area code 818 918- Nine two seven zero eight seven one. For the UK, you can just go to cprcallblocker.com. That is their website, and they have a number there. And it also mentions Australia, so I think this will work in Australia also. I don't know about Canada, as I said, and I don't know about the rest of the world. I also don't know about other phone companies in the U.S. I don't know if this will work with Verizon or Comcast or any of those. Last October, I ordered this through the U.S. office. And I know it's on Amazon because I read some wonderful reviews of it on Amazon. And so you could get it there too. I paid $84.99 and then there was a foreign transaction fee that my credit card company tacked on to that. I don't recall that I paid shipping charges and I got it very, very quickly within just a couple of days after I ordered it. That is all the information I have about the call blocker. I've got the manual in a text file. I got it originally off the website, and it was in a PDF file, and I had to do a bit of editing and cleaning it up to make sure that it didn't repeat lines and phrases and paragraphs as it did when I was looking at it in PDF form. So if you're interested in a text version of the manual, I can send that to you via an email attachment. My email address is maryemerson at sbcglobal.net. M-A-R-Y-E-M-E-R-S-O-N at S-B-C-G-L-O-B is in boy, A-L dot net. Thank you for listening, and I hope this has been helpful. Macademia. And here we are with another Macademia session. Jason Castingway here. I want to talk to you about global keyboard shortcuts. VoiceOver provides so many functions within itself that affect the system. For example, you can jump directly to the desktop, you can jump to the dock, you can open the menu bars, and even jump from window to window or app to app. But there are global keyboard shortcuts that do the same thing. And there are advantages to knowing those so that for some reason if VoiceOver gets stuck you might be able to navigate in a way that puts you in a place that you know for sure where you are and can affect the system from there. Sometimes I will get into the terminal 
which is pretty advanced, and am able to restart voiceover because Command F5 isn't working. And there are so many other situations. Or you might want to try to shut down your computer or do something that you otherwise can't do because there's no speech. This is just another fail-safe method, but it too. I mean, if the whole system freezes, you're stuck. <laughs> You've got to turn the power off in the way that we don't normally do, which is either hold down the power key or unplug the computer or something like that. So one thing I want to describe before we get into all of this is in the system preferences under keyboard, there's a setting that determines whether the F keys act as standard F keys or as system adjustment keys. So for example, when you have it set to act as standard F keys to adjust the volume with F11 and F12, you need to hold down the function key and press the F11 and F12 key to adjust the volume. But if you have it set the other way where the F keys act as system adjustment keys, then you can just press F11 and F12, but in order to actually use an F key in a standard way, you need to hold down the function key along with it. Hope that didn't sound too confusing. But uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring us into system preferences and go into the keyboard area and we can talk about what each of these settings means so we can talk more about global keyboard shortcuts. I even have a keyboard shortcut set up for getting into system preferences from anywhere, and that is command option comma. I'm going to press that now. System, system preferences, system preferences, window, toolbar. Okay, and now I'm going to tab out of the toolbar. General button. And if I just type K-E-Y, it'll probably bring me right to keyboard. Keyboard button. I'm going to press space. Keyboard window, toolbar. And now we have some, uh, I'm going to VO to the right. Keyboard, selected, tab, one of four, text, tab, two of four, shortcuts, tab, three of four, input sources, tab, four of four. Okay, we're in the keyboard tab, and I believe some of what I am wanting is right here. And so I'm going to VO to the right and get past some of this. 100%, 80%. Some of this has to do with the delay and the rate and all this kind of stuff for key presses. Off, slow, fast, long, short, use all F1, F2, etc. Keys as standard function keys. Checked, checkbox. Okay, here is the setting that determines whether the F keys are used as standard or not. And I have them used as standard so that I can do some of these keyboard shortcuts without also pressing the function key along with it. So I will replay that just so that we both know what they all are. Use all F1, F2, etc. keys as standard function keys. Okay, and that is checked. And I'm going to VO to the right. When this option is selected, press the FN key to use the special features printed on each key. Okay, so it actually describes what that means as well. Show keyboard, emoji, and symbol viewers in menu bar, uncheck, checkbox. Okay, I have that turned off. I actually haven't played with that. That's a, a setting that has come in more recently, and I actually haven't been in this keyboard area for a little while. Set up Bluetooth keyboard button. Okay, that's for setting up a Bluetooth keyboard. Modifier keys button. And that is for setting up modifier keys and having them switch switched around if you'd like instead of... Um, starting from the left, instead of having control, option, command, you might be able to arrange it differently. I'm not going to get into that right now. Help button. Okay, and then we're into the help. So that that is one main setting that I wanted to make sure you understand so that if you're following along, you know exactly what you need to do. There are keyboard shortcuts, like I said, that you can do with voiceover, but I find it a little easier sometimes to invoke 
these commands using the global keyboard shortcuts. For example, you can open a menu bar with VOM, that is Control Option M. That works fine, but if VoiceOver isn't running or you still want to get to that menu bar in another way, you can also use Control F2. Menu bar, Apple. That's what I just pressed, and it said the same thing that might happen with Control Option M. And from here, you can just VO to the right. System edit view. As you normally would. Help button. I've pressed escape to return to where we were. And another global keyboard shortcut is Control F3. This jumps you right to the dock. Dock. Audacity open. And um, we are put on the Audacity item. And that also works with Control Option D in VoiceOver. System preferences, keyboard width. I pressed escape. And there's one more keyboard shortcut um, in this category that I'd like to show you, and that is Control F8. That brings you to the extra menus area. Menu extras. Okay, menu extras then. <laughs> and this is where if you have things installed like Dropbox or you want to uh, see your battery status or the Wi-Fi signal or the clock. This is the area where it lies. So if I VO to the right. Time machine, status menu, Bluetooth, status menu, Wi-Fi, four of four bars, which system sound volume, status you menu. Can see all this stuff. I'm going to hit escape. System preferences. One other shortcut I feel I must point out before moving on is the toggle for full keyboard access. And that is done with control F1. As of this recording, I haven't found the actual system preference which turns this on and off. I just know that it can be turned on and off with the keyboard shortcut Control F1. Most of the time, I don't worry about it because it's on and it stays on, and that's good because all my keyboard shortcuts work. But if it gets turned off, you'll find that Control F2, Control F3, Control F8, and some other keyboard shortcuts don't work. If you run into that, try pressing Control F1 and see if they aren't restored. That has happened to me just a couple of times, and I'll panic for two seconds and go, oh yeah, that toggle. <laughs> and those are just a few functions that I have found very helpful over the years when I have been in a situation where I'm helping somebody and I want to get them to the menu bar, or um, voiceover isn't running, or is stuck, and I want to try to affect the system. In another series, I will talk about how to create your own keyboard shortcuts that are either system-wide or application-specific. For now, I will just tell you about a few more shortcuts I have found helpful. These are not dependent on any settings that I've just gone over, and that is shutdown, restart, display sleep, and system sleep. If you want to shut down your computer immediately and you don't have to go through the menu bar and find the shutdown and all that kind of stuff, all you have to do is press Control, Option, Command, Eject. Those four keys together when pressed will shut down your system. It may not be immediate because it, has to, it still goes through the proper shutdown sequence, but it will shut down. If you want to restart your computer, that is Control, Command, Eject. Same thing, it will just immediately go through the proper shutdown sequence and restart. 
the sleep function, the system sleep function rather, is invoked by pressing option command eject. And if you just want to put your display to sleep, that is control shift eject. If you want to bring up a quick dialog with the sleep restart and shutdown options, there might be something else in there I'm not remembering, but that is control eject. Pretty neat stuff. And I always love hearing about these little, you know, these little uh, lesser known keyboard shortcuts. If you have more than one account on your system, you can press command shift Q to log out. It will present you with a confirmation. And you may have seen that already if you deal with that. But if you want to log out immediately with no confirmation, that is command option shift Q. Same thing with an application. If there's an, a stuck application, you may have pressed option command escape to bring up the force quit dialog, and then you choose the application that you want to quit. Well, if you hold down the shift with that, so it's command option shift escape, it will force quit the current application without bringing up a dialog. It used to be that you had to hold down command option shift escape for several seconds, and then it would quit the app. But it seems lately that no longer is the case. You just press it and it quits the app. So mileage may vary on that. I haven't seen, I've only seen a couple cases where I've had to hold it down. So I hope you enjoyed this Macadamia segment, and I'll be back with another sooner than later, hopefully. Macadamia! Main Menu is sponsored by ACB Radio and the American Council of the Blind. It can be heard every Friday evening beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern and repeats every four hours until Saturday at 5 p.m. There are sometimes changes in the schedule which temporarily affect the repeating schedule. Feel free to listen by going to www.acbradio.org mainstream or by using the ACB Link app. You can also call from any phone, dial 605-475-8130. If you'd like to send us feedback, the email address is mainmenu at acbradio.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at mainmenu. Take good care, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>